Uh, what I want to do is just give you a little update, tell you a few stories from, from my trip, um, and then we will, we'll get into God's Word. We'll open up Psalm 96 together um, partway through here. Um, but I just want to share with you what God did. Uh, one, I'm just, again, thank you for praying. Okay, I was, uh, for, as trips like this can possibly go sometimes, uh, everything was pretty smooth. I was safe the whole time. I was healthy the whole time. Um, I feel like that's something God has done, has blessed me with, as I've, it's not that I have a strong stomach, um, but for whatever reason, that's nev- Montezuma's revenge has never come hard at me when I've been in these places, and that's been nice. I appreciate, um, I think it's a result of strong praying um, on the support side, so I appreciate that. Um, the church there, the feedback was that they were very encouraged, that there was a lot of um, just really sweet times that we had together there. And the pastors that I was with um, expressed their gratitude and their, and their understanding of new things. We were able to provide some, um, some training. We equipped them. I feel like there was some fruit there. Um, it was, we, we, I'm happy to go and just kind of like pat people on the back and encourage the work that they're doing. Um, but, but it's also, it's an extra blessing when we feel like we're able to kind of infuse them with something um, a little bit new, a little bit more excitement, a little bit of something that they can take and, um, and do something with. Um, so it was a good trip in that sense. Um, continue to pray. We did see, we did see a little bit of fruit, uh, but I would, I would say that um, one of the designs of the ministry is that I, I wasn't really there with the express purpose of seeing people come to Christ. That's not like the, the top goal and the main, main goal of the trip. Um, we did, but I was there ultimately to encourage and equip the church that was there. I said, I said multiple times when I'm there, I am not called to Africa. God has not sent me as a missionary to Africa. If he does, I need to live here and, and move here. I, I'm not called here. I'm called to Boise. Um, this is one of our convictions. We talk about this a lot, being really um, present and, and knowing where, where you are, where God's put you. Um, but if that's true for me in Boise, then that's true for you, for these pastors in um, Tanzania and Kenya and Uganda. Um, so I'm happy to say uh, this is not my mission field. This is not where I've been called to minister. You've been called to minister here. So my focus is making sure that you are equipped and empowered and that you can continue this work. And, it's, and I think, I think that there have been missions movements in, in the past, in the recent decades, that have created some of these um, weaknesses or at least some of these expectations, but it's really easy to be kind of like the, the white guy that they kind of parade around to get attention and, and, get, a, and get a platform so people will listen to them. Um, and, and in some sense, I'm happy to be that. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not gonna stifle opportunities for them to share the gospel, but um, if that's all it is, then it's kind of, I mean, anybody can do that. Um, I, that's not a sustainable thing. We want to be able to leave and for the work to continue, obviously. So there's still a lot of work to do, and it's hard, there's always that, feeling that you want to report like really successful trip. You want to give all these numbers and tell about all these decisions that were made for Christ. Um, but as we've said before, the Great Commission is not to go and make converts or to collect decision cards or have people raise their hands. It's to go and make disciples and to teach them to observe everything that God's commanded them or Jesus commanded them. And that takes a lifetime. So this is um, for at least eight people that we, that we know of. Um, they may have sort of entered the narrow gate, but they've got this long journey ahead of them. Um, and, and need our prayer, and the, and the church needs prayer to disciple them well and to um, include them in the family and, and to um, take what they've learned and hopefully replicate that and multiply that. And so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that need to keep happening. It's easy to say, yeah, there was some fruit, seeds were planted, time will tell how successful all that is, and there's a lot of things that, um, that need to happen, that the Spirit needs to continue to do that really don't depend on us or require my presence in any way. So, so please continue to pray for um, the churches and the pastors and the people there. Um, 
I said over and over to people, you have, you have family in Boise, Idaho that is praying for you right now and will continue to pray for you. So I told them that, so don't make me a liar and not do it. Um, pray for them. I, uh, I spent, so as the trip went, I spent the first few days or first about four or five days um, with Pastor Theophil. I think you've probably heard remnants of his story over the last um, year, a couple of years actually. We've been talking to him, working with him for, gosh, almost four years now, I think. And, and, and we've been doing, because of COVID, pretty much everything was on Zoom uh, or phone calls. So we've been giving him some resources and training and talking to him about how to um, just be present in his community. Three, four years ago, he was just kind of a, a lay member, like a, a maybe a volunteer leader in, in, in a, one of the small ministries in the church, and just felt this burden because he was commuting from his community into the main city or closer to the main city um, to, to go to church, and it was 30 minutes, 20 minutes. For them, it was a taxi because they don't have cars and stuff, and his, his whole family. And so he was feeling that distance and also feeling this growing need to um, reach his own community. He connected with me, and I gave him this kind of vision for... Um, for that kind of long, patient laboring alongside people um, in your community. And he caught that and started wanting to pray for and reach the people in his own neighborhood. And then before he knew it, um, he had this group of people that was, had come to Christ and were, and were showing up at his house like every night. And one time I was talking to him, we were doing like a training thing. I was just, I had, we had planned like this hour and a half long conversation. We were just working through some stuff. And, and I realized it was later in the night because of just the ways our schedules work out and when, when the internet's strong and when the connection's strong for him, it was getting later in the night. So I knew it was like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And I'm like, brother, you need to go. It's time. You need to go rest, go to sleep, you know, whatever. And he goes, oh, no, I've got, um, I've, I've got these people that have come, they've been in our house waiting for us to be done. And, and they come every night to, to pray and, and to read the Bible together. I was like, he, he had this group. <laughs> and I, to me, that was just so wild that he and beautiful that he opened up his home like that and that these people were coming and they wanted to be there and wanted to learn and, and he was spending time and that they were just waiting for us to have our conversation on the phone. So I felt even worse. I said, get off the phone now. Um, anyways, that turned into a church. There's about 50 people or so. Um, this is who I spent time uh, with. We uh, had, um, the, he had prepared, he had a small team that had learned some of the stuff that we were talking about and prepared for a trip. So they had, they had identified a number of people in their community that they're close to that they were going to be praying for. And, and they had finished kind of working through some of the training and timed it so that when I arrived was about time they were ready to go and kind of invite those people into dialogue about the gospel. And so I got to go with them and just sit under trees near huts and out in the village while they had conversations about the gospel. I didn't have any conversations with them about the gospel. I, I don't want to. I say like I, an ideal trip would be me not doing anything except for just praying for them, encouraging them afterwards, maybe interjecting here and there if I can help if they're if they're not sure about something. Um, but the best trips are the ones where I where I'm not doing anything and they're doing everything. And so um, it kind of went like that for the most part. And I, I was able to interject here and there. I was able to nudge them one way, um, just the opportunity to like be with them and watch them converse. Um, where kids are running around, all this stuff. So it was really sweet. I got to, I got to be um, in a lot of those conversations, and it was really, really encouraging. Um, one thing I found myself saying a lot um, in those conversations, or if I had a chance to interject, one of the things I had to say a lot was uh, try to talk them out of it. Let's try to talk them out of it. I don't know if it's just the culture. I think partly maybe the fruit of the ministry where they're, they're not coming at them cold. It's not like a door, knock on the door. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Cold turkey kind of conversation. That's stuff, something that they've been prepared for. So usually when we're there, it's been months of praying for them and talking to them about it. It's not like a hidden prayer. It's we, we say, go tell them you're praying for them and engage them in these 
dialogue so that they're kind of ready, you know what I mean? So when we get there, they're, most of the time they're like, they're, they know what's up, they know what's coming, they know what they gotta do, the Spirit's led them in that, they've, they've, they've figured it out, and so um, just sharing the gospel, it's almost kind of easy, I don't wanna say easy, there's a lot of difficulty to it, but it's almost like they're, they're ripe and ready. And so what I found myself doing is saying, try and talk them out of it. Try and convince them not to do this. Try to tell them how hard of a decision this is. Um, and, and it happened a couple times. One I can remember specifically, the lady was um, a little older and she was, she was willing. She said, you know, they, someone asked her, like, would you, would you be willing to repent and give your life to Jesus right now? She was kind of like, yeah, sure, you know what I mean? And I go, oh, wait, wait, you know, try to talk her out of this. Like, explain to her that when, when the creator of the universe dwells in a heart, he doesn't dwell in that heart to be anything other than the king. If, he's, if, you, if you think he's going to kind of, you, you can shrug the king of the universe into your heart, you know what I mean? Or, or you can invite him in to be a maid or to clean up your mess or to have access to part of your life, but not all of it, you know? Um, if it's anything other than that, don't do it. Like, plead with him not to do it. Say, whatever you do, don't. Don't pray right now and ask Jesus to, and, you know, you're not ready, you know what I mean? Um, and they did, and she decided not to. She was, once they started describing that, she, she became really hesitant, tentative, and I'm glad. And it gave us an opportunity to talk about um, what we were just saying. We're not here trying to get raised hands. We're not, we're not out trying to just get quick decisions. We're out here to make disciples. We're out here to plant the gospel not on the surface so it's received quickly and then footers away at the first hardship. We want it to be planted deep. We want, the, we want to make sure the heart's been, to the extent that we can perceive it, we want to know that the heart's been sufficiently tilled up and that the gospel can be planted really deep. Um, and it's so much better to let them wrestle with this Say, oh, go, you, you think about it, I'll come back in a couple days uh, and see what happens. And, when, and I say, we, I just pray that God torments them, that they just can't sleep for the next two nights um, before you come back, and, and then we'll see what happens. So I'm still waiting to hear what happens to that lady um, as we get back. But those are people that you can be praying for. Um, we did in that time, we saw eight people uh, that I can count, eight people that gave their life to Jesus. Um, we celebrated that a lot. Some of them were uh, younger people. There was one family an older lady, I think it was the grandmother and two of her grandsons um, and, their, and their mother. So it was, it was like three generations um, all gave their life to Christ after a long, good, thoughtful conversation. It was really beautiful. And, and particularly the older people, I don't know why, it just feels like you, you see, there's a sense in which they probably know more of the weight of things as, as they've lived so much of their life on one side and, and they feel, it's probably a lot harder too, and they feel this transition and feel like a, the giving up feels like there's so much more that they're giving up. Um, and anyways, it was really, it was really beautiful um, to see. Like I said, continue to pray for them. I, I was at the same time on the plane over, I did do some reading and I re was reading the Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've read that before, but it's really cool. Um, and I just had this thought that what they've done is they've, they've done what Christian does early on in the book, which is enter the narrow gate. And so much of that journey is, is the journey after the gate. There's, there's no guarantee. And, and this is a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to say as a white guy with relatively a lot more money than any of them to say there's no promises here. There's no like guarantees that this decision is gonna like make everything better or that all the hardships are gonna go away or that all of a sudden food's gonna show up in abundance every day, you know what I mean? That's, it's, it's hard to, it was hard for me to say that, but we, we, had to, we had to keep kind of coming back to that because there is a, um, the prosperity gospel is not just running rampant here, it's actually running rampant, more rampant in these poorer countries uh, where these false promises are going. And I'm not saying that our, the church was wanting to do that, but you can just see the influences. You can see this instinct, this want to, 
to say how much better life is going to be. And, and sure, it obviously is. There's, there's so much more hope and joy and opportunities for, for that um, after Christ. But to be really careful not to say life is going to be easy. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's going to be harder. Um, and to, to put that out there before them. Another instinct that we had, and I'm not saying this to be critical or anything, it's just ways in which they were, we were able to kind of um, guide them and, and, and help them to see maybe a, a more careful, thoughtful way of, of communicating some of these things is there was an instinct, and Theophil would admit this, I'm not bad-mouthing him, he would admit this if he ever listens to this, I don't know, um, that he had this sort of natural instinct to once they gave their life to Christ, or even before sometimes, to talk about his church and say, hey, we're over there, why don't you guys, you should come. Um, and particularly after they came to Christ, um, well, the next step is you got to come to church and become a member and you gotta, you got to do all this stuff. Um, and so the other phrase that I found myself saying a lot was that Jesus is, Jesus is after their soul, not their Sunday mornings. Jesus is after their life, not just their Sunday mornings. Um, he's not, the goal here is not to build up our church. The goal here is not to build up our ministry. The goal here is to see Christ exalted and for them to cling to him. And, and as you begin to live life with them and, and, and disciple them and return to, and visit them and spend time with them, hopefully as they grow, I trust, actually, I believe that as they grow in their understanding of God and what Christ has done for them, that they will ultimately make their way to church. And even in that culture, it's almost kind of given. You didn't really have to say anything. They almost kind of knew instinctively. But, but we wanted to say even like, we don't care actually if you come to church. You know, that's not, our goal right now is not, that's not the goal here. We don't want that to be the case. Um, and I was... I want to say radical, but that was a really interesting shift. And, and you saw a lot of, um, it just saw a lot of really, really good conversations that came out of it. And it created the opportunity to say, no, the next step is not that they come to you and spend time and try to plug into your programs or whatever is going on. The, the goal is that you've got to go to them. Um, when, when somebody is, uh, we know, this is a good analogy because we've got a lot of new young babies in our church and more coming, um, that uh, a baby needs specific nourishment. Yes, it's true that it takes a village to raise a child, that, that quickly, hopefully, they're passed around and they get the love and the care of many people and many different people at different times. But early on, they have a one very specific need, and it's their mom, and it's their mother's milk. And if you try to give them chicken, they'll choke. You try to give them anything other than that one thing, um, it, can be really, it can be really damaging. And so similarly, for someone who's young or new in their faith, um, it, it's, it's possible that we could cause them to choke if we say that your first step as a newborn believer is to come in and take in some um, expositional sermon from the book of Ephesians, and that's going to be your discipleship, or, or to come and enter into some really deep Bible study where we're wrestling through election and whatever else, that, that's, that's a good recipe for making a, a baby choke, uh, when what they need is they need milk. They need just the fundamentals and the basics. And so we give them um, resources for that. We give them some direction on, on how you can do those things. It's very, very simple um, very simple things, but we say you have to go to them. You got to go to them and, 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 and pursue them and, and spend time with them and be with them in their home. And part of that is because that communicates to them that this new journey is not lived out just in Sunday mornings and just in the church building. It's not, you're a Christian now, so come walk with Jesus in the church. Come walk with Jesus down the road a few blocks away. It's, no, you start walking with Jesus today in your house as you're doing your normal, living your normal life and encountering your kids and all the things that go on in your home. And so as a church, we want to join you there. Um, and that was a really, I think that was a really good thing. That's ideally when we've done these trips, I would say that is what we hope to see happen while we're there. I, I, we didn't, and partly just because of schedules and um, yeah, and just the way in which some of those things worked out. Um, we didn't have as much time. We spent about three days visiting people that um, in the in the community, um, 
in the past, maybe we've spent five days visiting, and what we'll say is like halfway through, we'll say, we're not, you, you, we will not go with you to go visit anybody else new. Like if somebody else that you say needs to hear the gospel for the first time is waiting for us, we don't care. We're not gonna go see him. We trust that you're gonna go see them. It's more important that we go back and visit the people that have given life to Christ in the first couple of days than it is for us to go see new people because of what we want to come out of this time. Uh, we want to see people established in, in those rhythms. And so I'm, I'm telling you that because that's our heart. That's, and we've communicated that this is the, the emphasis of our ministry and what we want to see happen. Um, but just because of the way it worked out and the timing, like I said, we didn't, we didn't do that. I think I communicated that with Theophil. He's got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people to follow up with. And he needs to bring the people in his church with him. It's not just his task. It's not the pastor. It's not, Theophil's not the one that has to go and decide. You don't need to be a theologian or a pastor to, to teach people the basics of the faith. You just have to be, we just say, you just have to be one step ahead. You just, I mean, you just have to be telling them what you learned the day before. So we find that even, even new Christians oftentimes are the best evangelists and sometimes even the best disciplers because they're so excited. Let me tell you about the thing I just learned yesterday, basically. Um, so I'm telling you that because we didn't get to see a lot of those things. So that would be a really uh, intense prayer that these people would be followed up with, um, that, that discipleship would happen, that it would happen intimately um, and, and as also in community um, and that... Uh, yeah, that Christ would be exalted and all of that. Uh, I got to baptize 10 people, which was really, really cool. Um, not people that had given their life to Christ that week. Um, it was people that had previously given their life to Christ. Um, I, don't know, I, I just feel like I want to share it because it was just a really sweet moment. Um, I got to, a real privilege, really. I got to speak to them about um, being, being in a, in a, in a, on a mission where you're there to talk about evangelism and sharing the gospel. Um, it's really easy to talk about how as a church, it's our job. We, we preach Christ crucified. We collectively together as the body, when we're together, when we're sharing in the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes. There's a lot of opportunities to talk about how we have to be here together to do that. Um, and I think the, even the sermon I preached on Sunday was um, a sermon on come and see. It was on, on Philip's uh, first evangelistic sermon when he pulled his brother Nathaniel, come and see, come and see Jesus. Um, so we talked about the need to, proclaim the gospel, invite people to Christ with our mouths. Um, and baptism was just a cool opportunity to say, this is like the one time, not, maybe not the one time, but this is one of the clearest times when you get a chance to proclaim the gospel with your body, like with your, with your actions. We say the baptism is like gospel theater. It's when you put it all on display and you, you, you show with your, with your posture and your, and your physical body the death of Christ, the burial of Christ and how you've identified with him, and then also the resurrection of Christ and how your hope is in um, that resurrection with him as well. Um, and that was really neat. I think they um, understood that and there was a lot of celebrating, a lot of singing. Um, I got to do it in a, it was a concrete hole in the ground, which actually I was jealous of. I wish we had something like that. I told him that if he planned to do it in a river, I'd probably be too scared because of crocodiles. Um, so luckily we didn't do that. Um, so then after that, we did, uh, that was about four days plus, uh, plus a, uh, Sunday worshiping together and fellowshipping together. Um, and then uh, Pastor Theophil and I got on a plane, a few planes actually, and hopped around to another smaller town in Kenya where there's a Pastor Alfred there. And then um, two other pastors that we've been working with in Uganda that we said, here's some, here's some money, catch a bus, try to join us because it was just too hard for us to get to all those places. And they did. And we said, we don't want to travel alone or to do this ministry alone. So just pick, pick a leader to come with you. We'll pay for him as well. We got um, hotels for all of us. And we basically had uh, two nights, one full day, and then a couple half days on either end um, to be together. And that was really, that was really, really sweet as well. And these are guys that um, are a little bit, they're, they're doing the same things that Theophil did starting three or four years ago, just not quite as far down the road. So it was just a good opportunity to get them together and encourage them. We spent 
basically a full day um, just training, um, just talking about kind of the arc of the ministry and just the, the shape of it and what, what it is we're trying to accomplish. Um, I think they were um, informed by some of those things, inspired. They came up with plans to, as they go back, uh, groups of people that they're going to gather together to start learning and identifying people in the community. They're going to start doing those things. So there's a lot of potential seeds for more ministry um, that could really start to multiply really quickly um, after, uh, I mean, I think the, I was getting messages about it just, the, just yesterday of people that they want to um, start, uh, start training and, and doing this with. Um, so you can, you can pray for them. We, what we continue to encourage them to do is, I'm just giving you some of these little, little mantras that I throw around while we're there. One is, leaders go first. Um, the, to be a leader, the word itself means that you're in front and you're going somewhere and you're bringing others with you. Leaders don't say, go, go and do those things I've never done before, but just go and do them. Um, and so we're constantly saying that in order to train people, in order to lead the people in your congregations, in order to see a church full of members who are all equipped to pray for and ensure the gospel with their neighbor, um, you have to do it first. And you have to do it in a way that they can replicate. So when, we, when pastors in these places, when they lean on really heavily the, the crusades and street preaching and big kind of evangelistic gatherings where they preach to as many people as they can with the speaker, I say that's, I'm not saying God can't use those things and, and hasn't and, and won't and, or that you should necessarily just stop doing that. But if you want to train people in your church to do it, that's not going to work because none of them can do that. And, none, and all they're going to do is watch you doing that and they're going to say, Evangelism obviously is not for me because that's, that's all they get. So you have to lead them in it, but you have to lead them in something that they can replicate. So we say, um, even in these things where they're practicing how to have a conversation, constantly telling pastors, you have to learn. Pastors more than anybody have to learn to shut up. You have to learn how to not talk, how to listen well, how to ask questions, and to not jump at every mention of Christ and preach a sermon um, because not only is that might not be effective, but that's an easy way to squash anybody else that's watching and, and their ambition or their desire to, to participate in this kind of thing. So, so you can pray that as they're doing these things that they will remember, those, remember, remember that and that they will lead well in, um, in uh, there's, there's a sense which they have to embrace a kind of humility. To kind of, it's almost like a lot of them are going back to the drawing board saying, okay, there's something here that I have to learn like everybody else. You've got you to just learn this. And so we say, don't, don't go, if you've never done this before, don't go train anybody to learn and do it yourself and, and maybe just invite a couple people to join you because you shouldn't be doing it totally alone. Um, so you can pray that it would, it would go, but it wouldn't go so in a rush, in, in, a, in a hurry. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we are not, the, the, our ministry, and I think as a church, it's not a numbers game. We're not after big and flashy and reporting big, you know, big numbers. We're not, we're not in it for numbers. Um, but I also know that there's an ambition that we have to do great things for God. And I don't, I'm not, don't want to be there a, a killjoy and squashing all their ambition to, to see great things happen for, for the kingdom. Um, so there's a need to find a balance. And, and I'll, I'll give you the example. I might have shared some of this with maybe a few of you before. I don't know. Um, and maybe you'll get it. But this is the analogy I give them. And, and it's, it's a fun conversation to have because it opens up new categories for them. It's always interesting to try to figure out how you translate all this uh, appropriately. But what I did is I, I take a napkin and I, and I unfold the napkin uh, and, and maybe it's you know, so big and it's pretty thin. Uh, and I just say, okay, now imagine that this napkin was as infinitely wide and long as it needed to be so that you could fold it as many times as you need to. And I want you to imagine if you folded this napkin 50 times, how thick would the napkin be after the 50th, 50th fold? 
I'm asking you, I'm curious. If, if, you, if you know it, don't say anything, but if you don't, what would your guess be? If you were, if you were theoretically able to fold a napkin 50 times, how thick do you think the napkin would be? So it's, it's, something, like, it's something like 30 million miles. Yeah, almost. <laughs> uh, it's, it's monstrous because it's just multiplication. Everything's doubling. Um, and it, so even when you do it, like I, you can take that napkin, if you're doing this with somebody else, you take that napkin and you can fold it, you can probably fold the napkin like seven times. And even after seven times, actually you're probably about a half an inch after seven times. Um, and so, you know, it looks like it's gonna be pretty slow. And it is for the first 40 folds, but eventually you're doubling a mile and then two, and, and it goes, it gets big really fast. Um, but even when you unfold that napkin, if you were to say, so say you started with one soul, one, you're one person, and you say, okay, every year, I'm gonna, pray, I'm gonna labor for and pray for one person. I'm gonna give my, my evangelistic attention to one person that I know and can connect with, and I'm gonna pray for them really intensely and, have a, and, and, and try to have a conversation with them and disciple them. If, if you could, one, one person a year, and in their discipleship, if they come to, if in their discipleship, you give them a vision for, to do the same thing, they gotta, they gotta multiply as well. They need to be obedient to the Great Commission. So in theory, that, that napkin folds once, and then if you were to unfold it, you'd have two, two squares, right? So you fold again. So after seven times, you unfold the napkin, and there's, there's a lot of little squares. You're like, okay, after. Essentially, if you said it took one year to lead one person to Christ and gave them a vision to do the same in the next year, 50 years, you wanna have an impact, 30 million people uh, in, in one go. I think I did the math. Uh, if, if we started with one person here, it would take, eight, I think, 18 years to reach all of the Treasure Valley, 900,000 people, 18 years, which is not that, it's not that long, you know? Um, and the reality is, is that you won't because the enemy is still present. People will not, people will reject it, uh, backslide, fall away, whatever it is. Um, so it won't work out that way. But in terms of just understanding the potential impact of small, slow, intimate growth, that rather than preach the gospel to a thousand people and hope for a few shallowly planted seeds, um, that we pursue one person or a few people um, and, and aim for deeply rooted seeds um, that we're trying to plant. And there's no glamor in those things. Like you can't say here, this is how your ministry will just explode and you'll have all the resources you need and you'll be on podcasts and writing books, all these kind of things. It won't happen. You won't, you won't gain any of that. In fact, the only way that this works is when you, give some, you lead someone to Christ and then you tell them that they have to go and lead someone to Christ. You don't take it upon yourself to go make more and more and more. You, you, give, you empower people and you give ministry away. You tell me that. So that's, that's a challenge for some of these pastors. You, gotta, you, gotta, you have to give ministry away. You have to be willing to be kind of obscure uh, and, and unknown and, and allow other people to do, do the work. And that's, uh, they received it really well, so I'm encouraged by that. Um, and uh, we just pray that those things uh, continue. Um, but that's, that's kind of what we're after. And that's, I, I've mentioned, I think even in our, um, like in our Discover BGC stuff, um, that CPE, that's the name of the ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism, has had big impact, uh, influence on even our church. But a lot of those principles of just slow presence and intercession and prayer and conversations and life together are kind of baked into the, to that ministry, at least into the emphasis on, on those things more and more, even more recently. Um, and so, Hopefully, hopefully you can see that, and you can be praying along those lines that, um, yeah, that people would kind of catch that. And it's, 
it's not something that we'll be able to report on. I, it's not like I can come back and say, here's the 30 million, <laughs> you know? Um, but there's eight. Uh, and then maybe in a year or two, there'll be 30. They'll be deeply rooted, plugged in. They will themselves understand the, the depth and the beauty of what God's done for them, and they'll be eager to share it with others uh, in the same way. So um, that's just, that, that's, that's the trajectory of everything. That's what we're trying to do. That's why it's fun to talk about some of the little things that God did, but, but also continue to pray that those little things would turn into big things, um, not even right away, but just over time, uh, and that, uh, yeah, that the church would be encouraged and built up. So I turn to Psalm 96, um, and the question I want to ask is why, why go? Why do we go? Why do we go to um, the nations with the gospel? Uh, I'm going to start in verse 3. Just read to the end. It says, Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his, of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. So verse 3, it says, declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among the peoples. That's a very proximate word, among. It doesn't mean um, send Facebook messages across the internet to them about it. Uh, It means go and be among them. Uh, The same is true for your neighbor. It doesn't mean lob your prayers across the street. Um, It means go and be among them. Uh, So the question is, why go? Why go either to Africa or uh, to your neighbor? And there's a lot of, um, I'm going to say, there's a lot of bad ideas about about this out there. Uh, And so I'm going to speak plainly. Um, We don't go because it's an adventure. Uh, We don't go because it makes our Instagram feed looks super inspirational. We don't go because it checks off the missions box that we feel like we need to check off once every few years. We don't go because it gives us um, a greater sense of being useful. I've heard, I've heard it said that, well, if you, if you can be more useful on the mission field than you are at home, then you should go to the mission field. I'm, I'm not saying there's not some wisdom in that, but we don't go for our own usefulness. Um, and we don't go for them. I said that a couple times while I was there. I said, I'm not here for you. I'm not here to see you. Um, I'm, not, I'm not here specifically, um, specifically for you. I'm here to see Jesus, is what I said. And I see him, and he's, he's in you, and he's with you, and so it all, it all worked out that way. But essentially, I'm not here because you deserve a chance to hear the gospel. I'm not here because you... Um, because it would be only, it's only fair that you get a chance, like I did. Um, 
I'm not here because you deserve to know. Uh, I'm not here for any of those things. Um, If Psalm 96 tells us anything, the reason we go is because God. Always because God. It says God is great. And he is highly praised. That every other God, every other idol, every other answer to people's suffering, every longing of people's hearts, everything that they cling to is worthless. Every other God is worthless. But our God, our God made the heavens. I go because our God made the heavens. That God possesses, actually, he owns and defines all majesty and beauty and strength. And so we go because we want to give God what is his. This is what we talked about in Ephesians. That his plan for the, before the foundations of the earth has been to bring all things together in Christ, was to unite all of creation. The thing that he spoke into existence, that he is sovereign over and that he owns and possesses, is to bring all those things together in Christ. And so we go because we want to give God what is his. We're going because it's the glory of his name. It's, it's already his, and, and so we go to allow him to receive, ultimately, what is his, what he has paid for, what he has purchased, what he is ultimately sovereign over our writer. It says that it is, the, it is the splendor of his holiness. All creation, it says all creation is worshiping God. All creation, the trees, the rocks, the mountains, all the creation is worshiping God, rejoicing, celebrating, and shouting for joy because the world is broken and cursed by sin, but the world knows better than we do that it belongs to God. And so it is giving God what it is due. And we, because we've been created um, with the opportunity to decide otherwise, think that we are better off without him. And so man has turned and, and, and separated itself from God, pursued wisdom on its own, pursued knowledge on its own. Creation is suffering under the curse of our sin, not its own. Creation knows, knows and is known from the beginning who it belongs to, and so it worships. It worships. And so we go to invite all people to give to God what is his, which is their worship. We don't go because they deserve it. We go because God deserves the worship. We don't go because they deserve a chance. It's only fair. We go because God deserves their worship. Christ bought their life, paid for their life, so he deserves to be followed by them and to be worshipped by them. Now, I'm not saying that our love for people or that our care for people or compassion doesn't compel us in a way or that we don't go because we love our neighbor. We do. I'm not, I'm not trying to strip away all the, all the warm feelings that we have when we do are with people and we see people come to Christ. But if the reason that we go, whether it's Africa or our neighbor, is primarily because we think that they deserve a chance, I think we will be quickly disappointed. We will find that they, like us, are dead in their sin and are are prone to wander and prone to look for other things. And even when they hear the truth, they're prone to twist it and they're prone to corrupt it and prone to use it for their own good and their own pleasure and their own power, just like we were. I'm not putting them in a different category, just like we were. And so if we are motivated by them, if we're motivated to give them something that they deserve, we're going to be quickly disappointed and quickly burned out. If we do it for people, if we do it for their praise or for their welcome or their honor, we will quickly be disappointed and we'll quickly uh, burn out. The only thing that can sustain a mission that will be fraught with rejection throughout over and over and over and over again is if we are motivated by something that doesn't end, which is God's glory and God's goodness and his holiness. If we make sure, if it's always because he deserves it, then we can endure whatever. Whatever, however long the flights are, however stiff the rejections are, however complicated the, the conversations are, hard the questions are, we can endure all of those things because God deserves their worship. So we will continue to persist 
So we don't go because they deserve to hear the gospel. We go to get, because Jesus deserves their worship. We don't go to show them anything. We don't go to show anything to the world about us or about our church or about our commitment to the kingdom of God. This has happened multiple times in a, where they, are very, they want to honor you. They want to say, we just are so thankful. We're so thankful that you've come all this way. It must be so hard to leave your family, to, to travel such a long distance, pay all the money that you pay to do these things. I'm just so honored. In fact, several people that are, you know, that are hearing the gospel maybe for the first time, they just are so happy that you're there. And it's those times that I want to leave. I just don't, I don't want to be, I don't even want to be in there. If somehow you've taken from all this that I have come some great distance to reach you, then, then you're missing the point. The reason, why, the reason why we go, the reason why we leave the, our comforts to enter into other people's suffering with the good news and the hope of the gospel is because Jesus went an eternity. Jesus left the comforts of heaven and the glories of his own throne and entered into our suffering. And that distance is eternally further than any distance I'll ever cover. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a difficult thing or that, it, that, that, that going and that traveling that distance isn't significant, but it pales in comparison to the eternity that Jesus crossed over in order to enter into our life and to take our suffering and to share with us the good news. So if you want to honor me, you do it by acknowledging that it's one came further and one did more and what did more for you. And that's what we're here for you to understand. This is not about, this is not about us and the, and the great sacrifice or, or adventure that we went on to pursue you. This is about how far Jesus went to pursue you. So let me, um, let me just end with that. We go because God is worthy. We go because God is worthy. Let me just end by reading this again. Psalm 96. Starting in verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Amen.